But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of his proven worth, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel, like a child serving his father. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things go with me. And I trust in the Lord that I myself also shall be coming shortly. But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need, because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him. And not on him only, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I have sent him all the more eagerly, in order that when you see him again you may rejoice, and I may be less concerned about you. Therefore receive him in the Lord with all joy, and hold men like him in high regard, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. My heart was very much encouraged Wednesday night through the freedom and the earnestness and the affection for God with which many of you prayed in our time together. I think it's the mark of a growing people, a people who are growing towards God in their hearts, that they very often in their prayers move beyond a delight in God's gifts to a delight in God himself. And that's what I detected among many of you Wednesday night. They not only say, thank you for the rising sun, but they say, I praise you, O God, for your bright glory. They not only say, thank you for children, but they say, what a God you are, that you can speak into being everlasting persons. They not only sing, I love thy kingdom, Lord, but they also sing, Father, I adore you. Jesus, I adore you. Spirit, I adore you. I think that's the mark of a growing people. That they move beyond the gifts of God right up to God himself. And I'm praying that the Holy Spirit is going to stir and quicken us more and more to that end. And when he does, and when he grants to us, like Paul says, to have the power to comprehend that length and breadth and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which passes all knowledge, when he makes that happen among us, then we become lovers of God, not just lovers of all his good gifts, not even his people who are his best gift to us. I think our affections will never be content when we grow towards God 
until they ascend up the beam of his generosity right into the flame of his heart itself. Then we may find contentment and not before. And I feel a tremendous joy when I'm around you people and realize that you have been there and you know what I mean. And I thank you for the ministry of our Wednesday night prayer service together. Oh, that the Spirit might come down and move us more and more and more beyond a preoccupation with his good gifts to a preoccupation with him. And then our language, the language of our conversation will have the flavor of real, intimate, living, Encounters with Jesus Christ. And we'll say things like Paul did. Whatever gain I had, I counted as lost. Indeed, I count everything as loss for the sake, the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. And not only our conversation, but there's going to be a new flavor in our prayers. We'll pray with the psalmist like this. I go to the altar of God, to God, my exceeding joy. And I will praise thee with the lyre, O God, my God. Thou dost show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. Thou dost guide me with thy counsel. And afterward thou wilt receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but thee, and on earth there is nothing that I desire besides thee. My flesh and my heart may fail, but thou, Lord, are the strength of my heart and my portion forever. If it's true that a growing people move beyond a love for God's gifts and his creatures right up into the heart of God with a love for him, then might it not be the case that all of this emphasis on small groups of togetherness is a threat and a hindrance, possibly, to that intimate, personal joy that comes from God himself alone? We must not be naive as we move towards this emphasis on small forms of togetherness. There is nothing spiritual nor even Christian about gathering together in small groups. Bearing one another's burdens, sharing mutual concerns, giving each other affirmation and encouragement, none of these is spiritual or godly in itself. All of those happen in bars all over this city where Jesus' name is never mentioned except in derision. Those things do not make groups Christian or spiritual. Therefore, it's very possible that groups could be formed in a church which have no spiritual aim and no spiritual atmosphere whatsoever. And I mean by that groups in which the words of God, whether from Scripture or spoken through living exhortations, 
And words to God are just sort of uncomfortable intrusions upon our nice fellowship. So the answer to the question is yes, small groups could become a hindrance. They could stand in the way of finding our way up that beam of God's generosity into his heart. But, I said last week, let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. It's not necessary. It's not necessary that there be a competition between our love of each other and our love for God, our love for drawing close in small groups and our love in ascending into God's heart. And there's a text that has helped me a great deal in seeing how these fit together. And I'd like you to turn with me to Psalm 16, verses 1 through 3. Psalm 16, verses 1 through 3. The question this psalm has helped me answer is, is it possible to delight in other Christians without infringing on God's prerogative to receive our delight. I've always felt a little uneasy saying what I said a minute ago from Psalm 73. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And on earth there is nothing that I desire besides thee. Really? Psalm 16, 1 to 3. Preserve me, O God, for in thee I take refuge. I say to the Lord, Thou art my Lord. I have no good apart from thee. As for the saints in the land, they are the noble in whom is all my delight. Now, on the one hand, David says, apart from God, he has no good thing. God is his only treasure, literally. On the other hand, I delight in the saints of the land. They are a good thing to me. And he doesn't seem to detect any tension there, any inconsistency, any either or, like I have tended to feel. David evidently is able to put those two together. I think the answer must be something like this as I ponder those three verses. When we delight in the company of the saints, we don't rob God of anything owing to him precisely because we delight in the saints as saints. What makes a saint a saint is that they delight in God. They worship God. They love God. They obey God. God. They value God. Therefore, our delight in the saints is simply an indirect way of delighting in God. When you value someone because they value God, then you are not robbing God of any of his value. You're expressing it in precisely what you value in those other people. You might be asking the question right now, incidentally, well, what about people who um, don't value God? How do we relate to them? That's tonight's text. 
So I'll just leave it there. Nothing will guard us. Nothing will guard our small groups from degenerating into mutual admiration societies like this biblical teaching. Apart from God, we have no good thing and all of our delight in each other should be an expression of our delight in God. If that's the truth that governs our life together, there's no problem, there's no worry, and we're in no danger. And I pray that the Holy Spirit might cause every group to be deeply centered on God so that every part of it, from the lightest remark about sports to the heaviest burden of depression, might all be related to God. Everything. God related. And there is no doubt in my mind that there's only one way for this to happen. And that is if the groups must are saturated in prayer to God and exhortations from God. Where God is speaking to us and we are speaking to him, there we will be centered on God. It's impossible to be centered on God where those two things aren't happening. Now, this is the weekend of joy here at Bethlehem Baptist Church, and we are dedicating ourselves as well to new forms of togetherness. That's what this Sunday is especially devoted to. So I've been trying in my thinking to bring these two things together. Joy in God, fellowship with one another, and delight in one another. Are they competing joys? Are they threats to each other in any way? And I've concluded that they need not be alternative or competing joys. On the contrary, I would go so far as to say that the more we delight in God for who he is in himself, the greater will be our capacity to delight in the saints. And the reverse is true. The more we delight in the spiritual marks of the saints, the greater will be our capacity to delight in God. For who he is in himself. For those of you who are willing. From the heart to be centered on God. And are willing to enter those kinds of small togetherness to that end. There lies in store tremendous joy. And I want to just mention. Three ways that this joy comes. And then conclude with some instances from the life of Paul. First, the joy that has God for its ultimate object is immediately experienced when a holy person sees the glory of God manifested in the attitudes and actions of the other people in the group. Jesus said, let your light so shine that men may see your good deeds and give glory to your father in heaven. I don't think that refers only to believers having a lifestyle which bears witness to unbelievers who are converted and then give glory to God. That's the main meaning, I think. I think it also refers to a transaction that happens between two believers, one of whom is like a mirror reflecting outward the love, the grace, the forgiveness, the beauty of God. And the other, beholding it, leaps for joy when he sees it because he loves God. 
And so there's a kind of immediacy to the person whose eyes are open or whose eyes of his heart are open. There is a beauty of God's forgiveness and power and wisdom and trustworthiness that is reflected in his children's attitudes and actions that we simply delight in as soon as we see it. It's an immediate joy. When I meet with the deacons, like we did Wednesday night, and we discuss a tough moral, ethical issue, and I see in those men grace, patience, earnestness, concern for the faith of the church, I see the handiwork of God. And I rejoice and I say, these men are the saints in the land in whom is all my delight. And there's an immediacy of joy. And if you are centered on God, then every ray of glory that's reflected in the joy and the peace and the righteousness of your brothers and sisters will come to you as an immediate cause of delight. And therein lies probably one of the greatest things about small groups. But there's a second way that joy comes through those or to those who participate in these kinds of small togetherness. It's not immediate. It's postponed or deferred. If we were perfect people, I think all of our joy in the revealed glory of God would be immediate. No lag. But we're not perfect. And the result of our imperfection and our sin is that we have a tendency towards lukewarmness instead of white hot love for God, which he merits. We just tend to be lukewarm. The other tendency that's expressed in that imperfection is a tendency to be more energetically and emotionally in love with the world and what it has to offer then Christ and what he has to offer. Those two things are always against us. And they abide, even in the person who's born anew. Some of you might have that for such a characteristic experience that you should ask, am I born anew? I know that's the case for some in this church. And if that's the case with you, come and talk to me or Glenn So that we can share scripture and pray and see God beget you anew. So that you don't consider all this that I'm saying a foreign language, all this delight talk. But for the rest of us, there's still a struggle. We've tasted it. We know that we have that living taste bud for the glory of God in himself and in his children But it is not easy to maintain that constant delight in the Lord. Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. That's a good song. It's a true song. So we come to our small group now. Here we are. Luke, warm. Weary. And we hear a story of an answer to prayer. We hear about some relationship on the way to being healed in in somebody's family or at work or at school. And we may hear about a bold venture in witnessing that somebody was given the grace to perform. 
Nothing. No response in our hearts. Just hear it. Blah. And that's all we have to share with the group. I'm blah. It's all over for me tonight. God bless them. They pray. And we split. And then later, maybe yet that night, maybe in a few days, the evidence of the faithfulness of God in those people that we heard and the prayers that they prayed, bouncing off God's gracious heart, start to take effect. Maybe it happens like this, speaking from experience. Uh, You get up in the morning and you lay open the word in some lonely spot. You can find one in your busy house. And a promise conspires together with a living illustration lingering in your memory from that group to ignite and explode with joy in your heart. And you thank it. And the joy was owing to the group, their faithfulness, sharing with you, but it was deferred. Nobody knows how long it may take until that happens. And oh, how patient we must be with each other. You know, one of the things that I'm discovering about my past is that as I grow and see new things about God and call new sins into question, I look back on myself and say, I wonder how people who were spiritual could abide me then. At the time, I thought I was moving along pretty good. Now I look back and say, how could they stand there? And I praise God for patience. And I say to myself, Piper, don't demand everything all at once from anybody. Paul said, encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with everybody. We're all on the way. There is deferred joy as well as immediate joy. Now here's the third way that joy comes. It comes to you in participation in a small group by your becoming the source of somebody else's joy. When Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive, he meant you'll get more joy if you think more about giving joy instead of getting joy. You'll get more joy if you think more about giving joy than getting joy. Before I go to any of the groups that I'm involved in, sometimes I forget, as I try to make my habit, I pray something like this. Lord, help me to say things that they need to hear. Bring to my lips words from your word that I've been reading that will be perfectly suited to their little uh, crevice that needs to be filled up. Grant me, Lord, not to have a negative or a critical spirit and to sow seeds of sourness in the group. Instead, Lord, help me to be a humble listener and a gracious speaker. And I think that if you pray that prayer, really mean regularly, before you enter a group, then you'll be centered on God and good things will come from you and not just to you. And what a joy it is to be a spring as well as a drinker of blessing in a group. You know the best thing you can do for your small group? 
if you're in one or we'll be getting in one, the best thing you can do for your small group is to keep your heart hot in God. There's nothing your small group needs more than to be around people who've been around God. It's got a flavor. It's got an aroma. And they need to smell it. Devote yourself indirectly to their benefit by devoting yourself to keeping your own heart white hot in God's love. If anything can improve upon your personal communion and joy in God, it's only this, that another person might be kindled by that joy that you have. And when you see that happen, that doubles your joy. It is a tremendous experience to know that others are being fed by God through you. So, in these three ways at least, we get much joy through participation in our small groups as we center ourselves on God and enter these groups seeking both to give and to get God himself. Now, the Apostle Paul was a great thinker. If you've ever read Romans, you know he's heavy, like an anvil, cracking out these arguments. He was also a tremendously hard worker. You read the catalogs of his activities in 2 Corinthians. Day and night, on the road, tears in the morning, tears at night. He was a workaholic, except in this regard. Unlike an intellectual, usually, and unlike a workaholic, usually, Paul loved to be with people. Oh, how he loved people. His heart was so knit together with his fellow workers and his churches. Listen to these words and see if they don't kindle in you the same longing they do in me. I I, I don't hesitate to say I want to be like Paul because Paul said to the Philippians, what you have received and learned and seen and heard in me do. And the God of peace will be with you. Oh, biblical. I want to be like Paul and listen to the way he talks to the Romans. I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Pray for me, struggle with me in prayer, that by God's will, I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. Doesn't sound like a workaholic, does it? To the Corinthians, he wrote, My mouth is open to you, Corinthians. My heart is wide. Open your hearts to us. To the Thessalonians. We were gentle among you like a nurse taking care of her children. Being so affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our very soul. And finally, in the last letter he ever wrote to a man who must have been his best beloved. He had no wife. It must have been Timothy. He said, I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience as did my fathers when I remember you constantly in my prayers. As I remember your tears, I long night and day to see you that I may be filled with joy. My prayer for us is that we'll just say that to one another. 
to see you fills me with joy. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, what a work of grace it would be if this church were aflame with love like Paul and Timothy had for one another. Like he had for the Thessalonians, the Romans, the Corinthians. What a heart. I have such a hard time loving a few, trying to stretch out the bands of my heart to encompass one congregation. And Paul stretched it around people all over the empire. Grant us to have enlarged hearts towards one another, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.